This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Luke chapter 8, as we continue our study through Luke's gospel, we'll be beginning this next chapter full of great truth for us. We always pray before we look to God's Word. Uh, It is um, hopefully a good routine, but it cannot simply be routine. And I think our passage reminds us of why this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we know that right now in this room, uh, war is about to begin as your seed goes forward. And so we pray now for good soil, for it to land on fertile hearts and minds. We pray for eyes to see Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, our Savior and King, our Comforter, our Peace. Lord, we pray against distraction. We pray for clarity of heart and mind. We pray that the cares of the world, which are heavy on many of our hearts, would fade. We pray the things that would crowd out fruitfulness would be cut down. We pray that you would plow up hard ground, that the seed would not be exposed to the enemy. Lord, would you bring about fruit a hundredfold through the power of your word? Would you give us faith and grace, Lord, to be faithful sowers of the seed, trusting in the power of the word by the Spirit, not our presentation, not us knowing all the answers, but that the word would do its work. We pray that would be true now and every day for us. So, Lord, we pray you now would reign in this place and be building your people up in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, by his power, for his glory. Amen. What kind of listener are you? What kind of hearer of the word of God are you? I often think about poor Eutychus. You know the story of Eutychus in Acts 20? Poor brother fell asleep during one of the Apostle Paul's sermons. He was going into the night late. I think it was around midnight. But he fell asleep while Paul was preaching. And unfortunately for Eutychus, he found himself on the third floor of a three-story building next to a window, an open window. And you know the story. He fell asleep, fell out of the window down to his death, death by sermon. It's a happy ending. If you know the story, Paul goes down and picks him up and ultimately he's resuscitated, he's raised from the dead to live another day and tell the story. Unfortunately for Eutychus, uh, Luke heard about it and recorded it for all time, for us to hear. 
You know, if you're, if you're thinking about yourself being in the Bible somewhere, maybe this isn't the way you want to be in it. Really, Luke, you had to include that. Listen, I'm not mad at you if you struggle to fall asleep or stay awake during the sermon. I'm not angry. I, I don't have a grudge. I do have a list in my, in my room of those of you. No, I'm just kidding. Thankfully, we're not on the third floor next to windows. Let me just front load, front load some application for you uh, to help you stay awake. In Thabiti Anyabile's little book, What is a Healthy Church Member? The first chapter in that book is about being an expositional listener. We talk a lot about expositional preaching at our church, where we take the main point of a passage, we make that the main point of the sermon, and then try to apply that to you. But this is about listening, expositional listening. And I think it's really, really helpful. He, he really just is, is reminding us that the hearing of the word is just as important as the preaching of the word. He gives six practical ideas that can foster attentive listening to God's word. Number one, meditate on the sermon passage during your personal devotions. Meditate on the passage in your personal devotions. Uh, You can pick up a sermon card outside with a list of sermons that are coming up over the next few weeks. You should know what's going to be preached on, Lord willing, if there's not a disaster or somebody gets sick. That's what we'll be preaching on. You could pray through those, read through those passages in your own devotions. That'll encourage you as you come to the sermon. Number two, invest in some good commentaries. If you're interested in commentaries on Luke's gospel, I can give you some good ones that will help kind of orient you on the big picture of things um, and encourage you in some specific things as we go through. Number three, talk and pray with friends about the sermon after church. I wonder if this is a topic of your conversation. It's not a natural one. It's much more natural to talk about the Texans yesterday or the Astros or whatever it may be. But to ask questions like, how did the scripture challenge you today? How's your thinking changed because of God's word? Talk about the sermon after church. Number four, listen and act on the sermon throughout the week. Listen and act on the sermon throughout the week. So write down points of application and then revisit those points during the week. Talk about them with your family. Talk about them with, 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 with friends. Um, kind of midweek to check in. Let the sermon stay alive by revisiting and, and discussing points of application and ways you need to, to act because of what was preached. Number five, develop the habit of answering any questions that come up from the text. Answer those questions before the week is over. Jonathan Edwards resolved that he would not let a day end before he had answered any questions that troubled him or sprang to mind while he was studying Scripture. Make that a resolution. Query the text and don't rest until you have your questions answered. Search the scriptures. And then finally, number six, he says, cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. So put to death any kind of tendency toward pride or critical nitpicking. Seek to meet Jesus every time you come to God's word. Personally, in a corporate setting like this, have an attitude, seek to cultivate an attitude of need. Humility before the word of God. It is, in fact, hearing the word, the message, that saves us. Paul makes that clear in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So today and next week, we're going to focus on hearing the word. We're going to preach a sermon about listening to sermons. You're going to see a lesson from Jesus on hearing God's word as we look at the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8. 
You'll notice that this text begins with, and we mentioned this some last week, a summary of the picture of Jesus' traveling ministry in verses 1 to eight, one to 3 and his companions there. And then you see the parable of the soils itself in verses 4 to 8. And then Jesus graciously explains the parable to his disciples and to us in verses 9 to 15. It's really helpful. The, the punchline is there in verse 8. As he said these things, notice he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is not implying that some in the crowd did not have ears, physical ears. He is implying that there's something to hearing, something more than just picking up noises coming from someone's mouth. Hearing the words of Jesus faithfully is more than that. There must be a response of obedience in our lives. So Jesus is calling us to consider carefully how we hear the words of life, both this week and next week. I want to mention three things to consider about hearing the words of Christ this morning if you're taking notes. Number one, those that hear the word spread the word. Those that hear the word spread the word. You see that in verses one to three. Number two, hearing the word brings help and hardening. Help and hardening. See that in verses eight or in verses nine and ten. And then finally, number three, our hearing of the word reveals our hearts. And there we'll look together at the parable of the soils. So may the Lord prepare our hearts to hear his word this morning. Let's first consider that those that hear the word spread the word. Going back over this passage again, I was struck by this first little section about how it's like a snapshot of Jesus' public ministry, traveling from town to town, preaching the gospel, and who's with him. But in a sense, it's also like a, a preview of the parable of the soils. Notice if you see any, any parallels. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the picture of a sower, isn't he? Who's sowing seed, the seed of the gospel. He's a preacher. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The long-awaited inbreaking of the kingdom of God is here. And the king himself is heralding its arrival. Come to me and believe in me. Repent and believe the good news. And he's illustrating that, not just with his words, but, but by healing and then delivering people from Satan's power. So we get this note about who's, who's with him, and then he goes into more detail. And the twelve were with him, there in verse 1, in verse 2, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And we'll see Satan's influence, just as we, it's alluded to here with the demonic possession, again in the parable of the soils, seeking to steal away the word. That didn't happen with these disciples. These, these have been delivered by Jesus. And especially Luke highlights these women who have come to believe and follow him after he's, rescue, after he's rescued them from their infirmities and these evil spirits. Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, by the way, Magdala is just a place. It's a place name, so she's kind of associated with that place. She'd been delivered from seven 
demons. Often tradition kind of associates her with some sexual immorality, but we don't see that in the text. We do see this spiritual um, plague of these fallen angels that had taken advantage of her spiritual weakness and taken over her life and her will. And so Jesus redeems her. He frees her. We don't know much about Joanna. She's She seems to be likely well-connected politically because of her husband. And we know even less about Susanna. So there's this this interesting combination of these women that are from a, some, a rough background, relatively unknown, and from high position, all together with Jesus. But like the good soil in the parable, they are bearing fruit, providing for Jesus' ministry out of their own means. And so we mentioned last week that Luke is drawing attention to these women simply by naming them and then pointing out making sure we understand that they are traveling with Jesus as his committed disciples. In a day when theology was basically for men, they stood out. So so rabbis did not teach women or take them on as disciples. And Jesus not only draws these women to himself in saving faith, but then he personally invests in them, disciples them, instructs them from the word. And as he has provided for them, they in turn are providing for the spread of the gospel by supporting his ministry. So that is encouraging and instructive for us, just to take note. I just want to draw your attention to two things. We need to see and observe the vital place that women are playing here in the ministry of Jesus and still do play in the church today. Luke has done this consistently in his gospel already, highlighted the ministry and the work of Jesus with women And here he names these women to, to again, remind us that women are vital to Jesus' ministry. What a blessing it is to see so many tangible examples of that in this room. As one of the elders here, I get to see really close and personally the, the ministry of women at UPBC. I can't imagine my family or my church family functioning or thriving apart from the ministry of you faithful sisters. What a joy it is to watch your faithful, gospel-centered service as you teach and encourage, as you share the gospel. You know and love Jesus so obviously. There's so many wonderful women here at UPBC. Some of the most regular encouragement that I get as a preacher, as a pastor, comes from, from women. I get very good, insightful feedback about things that went well in the sermon, things that could have gone better in the sermon in the service. Insightful, helpful, good feedback from some very godly women. I see you modeling discipleship and selfless service with your families, with each other, with new people that come to our church all the time. Women are often the first to reach out and welcome someone to their home, to an event. Often the first to volunteer for a ministry need. I see your radar going off when someone might be left out or or needy. I so appreciate the perspective of so many of our sisters on various teams that we serve together with. So I can't I can't imagine our church thriving apart from these thriving women. So dear sisters, just know that we're thankful for you. You bless our congregation. Stay close to Jesus, stay committed to his word and continue to be intentional about speaking the word to others and spreading that word. That's the second thing I'll notice about these 
women that really they're examples to all of us, all disciples, not just of hearing the word, but of spreading the word. Their financial investment in Jesus' ministry is part of their discipleship. Notice how it's linked. It overflows from their love for him. So we know that not everyone's going to preach like Jesus or the apostles or those who stand up front in the church. Not everyone's going to go and be a missionary or whatever those things might be that we would think of as kind of upfront ministries. But we are all partners in the work of the gospel. Paul told the Philippians that very thing, that they enjoy a partnership in the gospel, uh, Philippians 1.5. So we all, that means we all have a shared responsibility for supporting the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the word of God in this church and in this neighborhood and beyond. What a clear picture here and good example for all of us to see and follow that those who hear the word also are responsible for seeing the word spread and go forward. So, friend, let me just ask you, how is your giving connected to your discipleship? As you think about, particularly those of you who are members at UBBC, our church covenant calling us to give and systematically and proportionally to support the work of ministry. Does your giving, your financial support bring you joy? Because you're connecting it the way that we see it here, that you're supporting the spread of the gospel. So your support of our local church, for example, supports those like me and our pastoral staff that can spend time studying and praying and thinking about the word to teach you during the week. Mission workers that we support overseas. The, the upkeep and the, the renovations for this place that we're blessed to, to, to meet in as a church, this building. We take a shared responsibility in that too, don't we? These women kind of put all that they have here at the disposal of Jesus because they want others to know and love Jesus like they did. So that's our motivation as we give. God loves a cheerful giver. It's part of the fruit that comes from knowing Jesus. Giving that others would know and love him. So those that hear the word faithfully and truly help to spread the word. And we see that here in these first verses and it's like a preview for the parable to come. Number two, hearing the word brings help, but also hardening. Hearing the word brings help, but also hardening. It's important to note that Jesus is gathering a crowd, a great crowd, according to verse 4, that's made up of people from town to town that would, that would come. And if you follow this parable through the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all contain this parable. It, in all those Gospels, it marks a turning point for Jesus' ministry. The turning point is this. He starts to thin out the crowd. The crowd that is gathering isn't necessarily Jesus' goal, is to have a big group of people, because he starts to hone in on the difference between superficial faith and true discipleship. And one of the ways that Jesus begins to separate the sincere follower from the casual hearer is through teaching in parables. Now, that's not immediately obvious to us why parables would have that sifting effect. Don't we usually think that, and we hear that, we ought to teach and talk in stories because people like stories. They have, you know, shorter attention spans these days and they can really be connected when we're telling these stories. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong or that stories aren't often helpful. Of course, we all enjoy them. But that is not the really purpose for the parables that we see here in the Gospels told by Jesus. 
If you think of a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, sometimes that's the way people define them, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, it's the meaning that's often lost on the crowd. They hear the story and don't understand the point, the meaning. And Jesus tells us why right here. Look at verse 9. And when the disciples asked him, so they, there's this parable that's been told, they don't understand it. What, what this parable meant, verse 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's not what you would have expected Jesus to say, I bet, if you were just reading that for the first time. I'm, I'm telling these parables so they won't understand, so they won't see the meeting. Friends, in other words, what's happening is this parable is a form of God's judgment. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter 6, that famous place where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And he says, here am I, send me. And the Lord sends him out on this mission as a prophet. But here's his commission. Isaiah 6 verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make this heart of the people dull and their ear heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears, or lest they with their ears see and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So Isaiah's ministry is a judgment on people who had rejected God and hardened their hearts to his word. The more they gave, the more he gave them the word, the harder their hearts became. And so the parables of Jesus are working like that. They're working to both reveal and conceal the truth at the same time. They reveal to those that genuinely hear and seek the Lord, and they conceal from those who are not really are willing to grapple and listen with the message. They bless the people of God, and they are judgment on the casual and the careless. Jesus says it's like a secret. The kind of secret that can only be revealed by God. Like the song that we sang earlier, it's very similar to the way that the Bible uses mystery in the New Testament. Something that's been concealed and that then is revealed only by God through His grace in Christ. So Jesus reveals the meaning of the parables to his disciples, but others are outside and they don't understand. So the very same parable that Jesus gives the disciples, that they receive knowledge of the kingdom, keeps others from knowing Christ. The same words that are a help to some hardened others. Understanding God's word, the gospel, it requires spiritual discernment, which only comes by the Holy Spirit of God. And we can tell who's on the inside and who's on the outside by the way in which they respond to the word. The huge crowd begins to thin. Leon Morris explains it this way. Jesus was looking for more than a superficial adherence, so he intensified his use of parables, stories which yielded their meaning only to those who were prepared to search for them. The parables demand thought and spiritual earnestness. They separate the sincere seeker from the casual hearer. So the parables can only be understood by faith through the spiritual discernment that is given by God to his people. So friend, there is a warning here for you and for me. 
Just like the hot sun can harden clay and at the same time melt butter. Our response to the Word of God says much about our heart's true desires. Do we really desire to know God through His Word? His revealed means to know Him? Continually hearing the Word of God without that receptive heart? Without properly responding in faith and obedience? Can actually lead to a closing of the ears. A dulling of the heart and a darkening of the eyes. So be careful how you listen. Often we evaluate the sermon. And it's just right and good. We should. That was encouraging. That was really good. Or that could have been better. Not so good. Boring. Too long. But just remember there is another evaluation happening all the time as we hear God's word. God's word is evaluating and addressing and exposing us. The truth is that we need God to know God. We need God's Spirit working through His Word to change us. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray for God's help and grace to do what the prophets refer to as plowing up the ground of our hearts, the fallow ground of our hearts, that God would, would His Word would take hold and not harden us. Listen to the way Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 4.3. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. That's preparation of our heart for the, for the word. Hosea 10.12 Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. Seek the Lord. Break up the ground of your heart. Repent and humble yourself and hear God's word in church, in your own personal devotional time as someone is encouraging you from the Word personally. With God's help, His Word is a great help to us. But apart from it, it will only harden. And Jesus' parables make that clear. Finally, let's examine the parable together now as we look at this reality of number three. The hearing of the Word reveals our heart. So pick it up there in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is a cool story, but the disciples really don't understand what it means. They need Jesus to understand God's word. He has to explain it to them to reveal the secret. And friends, it's no different for us today. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that gives us understanding of and appreciation for the Word of God. And so Jesus is going to give an explanation, and we'll go through it together. 
So look, look at the way that he explains the parable beginning in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Just stop right there. Jesus doesn't identify himself as the sower, but I think that's clearly the implication, the obvious connection from what we've seen. But I think we could also argue that the sower is anyone following Jesus who sows the word of God, that preaches the gospel. And we know that's what's happening because he specifically says the seed is the word of God, verse 11. Interestingly, these are the only two constants in this parable, the sower and the seed. The variables are going to change with the types of soil that receive the seed. It's going to land on different types of soil, but the sower and the seed are unchanging. See that. The sower's job is to throw the seed everywhere, on everyone. He's not to look for the most fertile places. He isn't to conserve his seed, not to waste it on some places that he think it might not bear fruit. He's supposed to scatter it indiscriminately, liberally, consistently. I love the way Spurgeon described it. This is what he said. He said, if we knew where the best soil was to be found, perhaps we might limit ourselves to that which had been prepared by the plow of conviction. But not knowing men's hearts, it is our business to preach the gospel to every creature, to throw a handful on that hard heart yonder, and another handful on that overgrown heart, which is full of cares and riches and pleasures of this world. We have to leave the fate of the seed in the care of the master who gave it to us. For we understand that we are not responsible for the harvest. We are only responsible for the care, the fidelity, and the integrity with which we scatter the seed. Right and left with both hands. We are bound to preach the gospel. Whether men will hear or whether they will forbear, let men's heart be what they may. I am not loose from my obligation to sow the seed on the rocks as well as the furrow, on the highway, as well as in the plowed field. So, beloved, in other words, our responsibility in this scenario is to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, gossip the gospel, tell everyone the good news. It is not our job to produce a harvest. The results are not up to us. That's not how farming works. All the power, all the hope, all the life is contained in the seed. We just need to get the seed out there and watch the innate power within bring life. That's why it would be so foolish to try and engineer a special kind of seed that would somehow be less offensive. Or fit, especially for a certain kind of soil. No, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all those who would believe. That gospel is the good news of salvation for sinners. What an encouraging thing to note, the hundredfold growth that happens when God's word does his work. Friend, there is one God who is holy and good. He has made the universe with a word from nothing. And he made us, man, in his own image to know him and spread his glory. And each of us have turned away from God's purpose. We have sinned against him. And because of that sin, we are separated from God and awaiting his judgment. But God, in his great mercy, sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, his only Son, Jesus, the Word, made flesh to come to earth to purchase our pardon 
He laid down his sinless life as a sacrifice for his people, atoning for their sins. And he rose from the grave three days later. He was alive and is alive. And now he calls all those that would hear him to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in him to receive eternal life, new life with God. Friend, would you do that? Your response to that truth is everything. Not just that you could say it and answer it on a, on a note card or a test, but that you personally believe it and respond it and say, the gospel is my life. Jesus tells us how and why people, even in this room, respond the way that they do to that gospel message or even to the word of God in general. He gives four examples of the soils, which represent four different kinds of hearts and how each one responds to the word of God. First, there's the, the hard heart. The first soil represents a hard heart, and it's represented by the, the path, the seed that falls on the, the path. Look at verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. There were these trails, footpaths that would cut through the fields. They would trample down and they would be, they'd be trampled by foot and they said they'd be hardened from people walking through. And some of the seed from the sower inevitably falls on these trails and would just bounce off and lay exposed for the birds to snatch up. And here in the parable, Jesus makes it clear the devil represents, is represented by these birds, Satan. He comes to be the main actor, at least on the surface. He swoops down and takes away the seed, notice, so that they may not believe and be saved. It just tells us that no one is saved apart from believing the gospel. Satan hates the gospel. He hates you. He doesn't want you to believe and be saved. He wants you in hell forever. He is your enemy. And so immediately he springs into action. Friend, if you don't think you're engaging in spiritual warfare when you're sitting there listening to God's word taught or preached and we're opening your Bible in the mornings, you're wrong. Listen to J.C. Ryle. From Satan come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations. Listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People wonder where they come from and marvel how it is that they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. They forget the parable of the sower. They forget the devil. But notice what gives the devil the opportunity in the first place. It's a path, it's a hard heart that doesn't receive the word. It's indifference to the word that exposes the seed to the enemy. And the harder the heart, the less the, the, the word, the seed can penetrate. Friends, I think one way that a hard heart kind of functions, shows itself, is delayed obedience. Do you ever have that sense I'll think about that later. God has said something really clearly through his word and it's obvious there's a point of obedience for you. There's something to think about for you and you say something like, I'll think about that later. I'll put that into practice later, not now, another day, another time. 
And so instead of taking in the word, it stays right there on the surface, defenseless. And Satan does not allow that word to stay there very long. He will come and steal it away. Delay is one of his favorite responses to the hearers of the word. Ask God to soften your heart that when you hear the word, you would welcome it. Bring it in. Receive it. That you would love the gospel. If you don't already do this, let me just encourage you to pray for the preaching of the word of God here at UPBC. That sounds like if we're going through our prayer meeting, one of those things like, wow, do we really need to spend time praying for that? Yes, we do. As you open up the word of God in the morning, great opportunity for you to pray. To pray that God would incline your heart to understand his word. That he would open your eyes to understand wonderful things from his law. That he would satisfy your, your heart in the morning with his steadfast love. That you would just open the word and jump in, but ask for God's enabling grace. We'll say more about that in the, at the end of Luke's gospel. Pray for the preaching of the word. Pray for hard hearts. The, the second heart that we see here is the shallow and rootless heart. It's what Jesus illuminates here, illustrates by the seed falling on rocky soil. You see this in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So a common uh, difficulty for Palestinian farmers were these spots in the soil with only a few inches of, of soil, and right beneath the soil was the rock, the bedrock. And so a plant could, could, could germinate, and, and, and I don't think that's the right word, but anyway, you know what I mean. It's growing fast, but then those roots hit the rock, and there's no moisture, there's no growth, there's no depth. So, so they can't get enough moisture to survive, and then the heat comes from the hot desert. And it would shrivel up and die. Can anyone imagine it being hot outside? Can you imagine it not raining for a while and it being really hot outside and then you having grass and plants? Just, just go with me here. Imagine this. We were uh, talking the other day about some plants that we had planted uh, in the spring and Alicia had worked in the yard all day and it was getting dark and I think she said there was some, uh, even a, a thundercloud that was coming and there was one more plant to plant and she said she was exhausted and was done and so she didn't plant it with any real depth. She just, it was just shallow and it was covered up with dirt and guess how that plant's doing, right? It's not doing well, right? We, we, can, we can understand this situation. Jesus is saying some professing Christians are like this. Professing Christians are like this. They receive the word initially with joy. And I take that as kind of a, a, an emotional response. A good response, by the way. You shouldn't discard emotions. But when testing comes, they fall away. When the heat comes, they shrivel up. Friends, this is why a focus on discipleship is so important when we, when we share the gospel and teach the gospel. This is why we can't shy away from the reality of suffering in the Christian life. Preparing people to count the cost, understanding what it means to be a Christian. If we're not rooted in the gospel of the cross, following in the footsteps of a suffering Savior, we will bolt when things get hard. So, Making a decision to trust in Christ may be the first step in a life of faithful discipleship. But if that's all that ever happens, 
If all we're gearing up for is for people to say some words, to, to say a prayer after us, if that's all there is and nothing follows, we don't have any real assurance that we're Christians at all. Our faith cannot be based on how we feel about Jesus at a certain moment. Listen, I can't imagine being a Christian apart from having my emotions, having joy connected to Jesus. But if all we have are how we feel, all of we have are those emotions, we have no root, no anchor to hold us in the storms of life. Christians will persevere, always. Our confession reminds us of this. We believe as a church that such only are real believers as endure until the end. That their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. Shallow soil. That a special providence watches over their welfare and that they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Jesus will hold you fast. Christians will make it to the end. But those superficial ones, the ones that are just making it maybe for a show, who haven't really rooted themselves in the, in the persevering gospel of grace, will shrivel up and die. Last one that he mentions here, at least in the negative sense, is the, 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 the heart that is choked out by thorns. That's, uh, ultimately, we would say it's a distracted heart. A distracted heart. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So thorns are like weeds, and they often grow as fast or even faster than the plant that we want to grow around them. And so these thorns, these weeds, would choke out the plant and keep it from producing mature fruit. And by the way, immature fruit is worthless. We can't do anything with it. And so he mentions three types of thorns that affect our discipleship, especially our hearing of the word, cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Cares refer to the cares of our life, our health, our family, obligations, the logistics of life, our work situation. You can be so dominated by the cares of life there is just no room for following Jesus. No room for fruit. Can you relate to that? Being dominated? Having a busy, busy, distracted heart? You ever feel like your cares dominate your life? Your mind is always running 90 miles an hour and you never slow down enough to, to meditate and to pray, to sit in silence before the Lord, to have a serious conversation about Jesus with another Christian brother or sister. Danger. The, the alarm bells of danger should, should go off for us. If we're distracted from bearing fruit, distracted from hearing the word, distracted from applying the word, teaching the word by cares of this life. Certainly this has a negative connotation. As, as anxiety, we know what to do with anxiety. We know what Jesus tells us to do with it. To trust the Lord with our cares. To trust the Lord with our worries. Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Are you distracted? Our hearts can also be distracted by positive things like, like riches and pleasures. These two can choke out our spiritual fruit if we just let them run wild. 
Think about, think about Esau. How do you get to a place where you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew? Your appetites have gotten out of control. Or Demas, who leaves the mission field because of his love for the world. 2 Timothy 4.10 We can be distracted by entertainment. Or we can just approach things with an entertainment mindset. I want to encourage you not to approach listening to preaching with an entertainment mindset, especially my preaching. One author compared entertainment to preaching this way. He said, especially the kind on screens where we're glued to so much. He said, we're used to entertainment that is passive. We're passive. We're, we're, you know, we're passive in the entertainment. Screens give us this eye appeal and they give us an escape from reality. While preaching or just sitting to read the word is active. We're actively engaged with it. The main instrument is the ear, not the eye. And it brings us face to face with reality, not an escape from it. It's, it's war. It's spiritual warfare. We are coming face to face with our great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what this parable shows. But the gospel reminds us that the world's promises are fading and empty and that God's word endures. The devil is active, but he is defeated. Our flesh wages war, but it has been crucified with Christ. Beware of these enemies that are against you. The world, the flesh, and the devil are against you. And against your love of Christ and his word. This last heart represents the receptive heart. We could say the new heart. Verse 15. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who are hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So the good soil that produces this amazing crop hundredfold, it just reminds us that the word of God is powerful. It's powerful to save. And these have been prepared by God to receive the word and to do so eagerly so that they would hold it fast. It's like this picture of a soldier who is in war and is told, never put down your weapon. Never leave your weapon. Never leave the word of God. Hold this precious seed close to you. Look to Jesus. They bear fruit with patience. Listen, they endure the same trials and troubles as everyone else. But the effect isn't shriveling up and dying. It's not apostasy or hardening, but sanctification and maturity. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just like in our preaching and study of God's word, we don't skip the hard parts. The same is true in life. We don't get to skip the hard parts. It's all good and it's all for us. We endure with patience, trusting the Lord to do his work in and through us. And so James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The steadfastness, let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking In nothing. And so this week and next week, let's focus on Jesus' words. He who has ears, let him hear.
Friend, I wonder what's been impressed on you from God's word recently, maybe today, maybe recently, another, another time. Is it, to, is, it, is it that you need to forgive someone? Is it that you need to confess something? Is it you need to apologize for something? Is it that you need to speak the truth to someone regardless of the consequences? Is it that you need to kill a sin in your life? You need to change a habit or your surroundings or whatever it takes to mortify the flesh. Is it that you've been neglecting the word personally? Is it that you need to make giving more of a part of your own discipleship? Is it that you need to walk through the door God has opened to share the gospel with a friend? To serve the Lord in a new area? To maybe fast from some entertainment so that you might feast on God's word? How will you respond to hearing the word? What kind of hearer will you be? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray now that you would do your work. We pray that you would protect your word. We pray that it would have its full effect in the lives of your people. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged, Lord, to be faithful in our sharing of the word with one another and trusting you for the results. Lord, we pray that we would be humble and repentant receivers of your word. We want to submit ourselves to your word. We want to be shaped by it, Lord, and and made more into the image of, of Jesus. So we pray that you would do that in our midst, even as we sing, even as we respond now. Or may, it, may we do so with joy, trusting in you, Lord, to bring about the growth. We pray this and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.